I wonder if anybody here this morning has ever met anybody really, really, really famous. Okay, hands up, grown-ups as well as the people. Yep, anybody really famous? David Beckham. David Be- you heard of David Beckham? Who's he, tennis player? No, no, don't think so. Okay, yes? <laughs> Thank you, Lester. Victoria Beckham, right? Who? <laughs> Nicky Butts, yeah. Oh, we're doing well. Yep, at the back. Nelson Mandela. Higher, higher, higher. John? Princess Diana. Beat that, Phil. Oh, come on. The, the, the mayor of Salford. Well, yes, I, that's pretty good that evening. Yes, right. Louise? The Sophie Wessex. Yes, Simon? King of Jordan. Dalai Lama. This is getting out of hand. Right. Doris? Okay, Alan Beatrice, Roy Castle, Roy Castle. yep, Billy Graham, Billy Graham. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, enough, this is, this is totally, totally, totally getting it out of hand, right, now, I've got one or two famous people I've met, but what we're going to do right now is think of special people, right, on the screen, Anybody know who that is? Or was? I thought we might get that. I do not know why. Okay, he might come to City, actually, but you never know, Arthur. There we are. Mr. Mourinho, the special one. That's what he called himself. Right. People I've met. Right. I could only think of three really famous people that I've met. Anybody know? Cliff Richards, Sir Cliff. Okay, I did meet Cliff just on one occasion backstage uh, on a concert. You can see he still is the only singer to have had a number one in five consecutive decades. That is amazing, okay? Cliff Richards, that's the first person uh, I've met that was really, really famous. The second... The girls and boys will not know who this is. And I wonder if the adults... Dennis Violet. Dennis Violet, okay. Dennis Violet played for Manchester United a long, long time ago, okay? And he still is one of the top scorers of the club. I met Dennis when he was 14 or 15. I'm not absolutely sure because I had a football team in Manchester. I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. And um, he came and played. To be perfectly honest, I think it was only a practice night. I'm going to tell you why I think it was only a practice night. Because here's the proof that is me. 
that's when Ralph was a lot, lot younger. I even had hair in those days, you will notice. Okay. Uh, that's a bit of a fudge, to be honest, because um, the, the, I think that football team was post my national service days, Murray, in actual fact. I couldn't find an earlier one of that, but I was the captain of the team. The reason was it was my ball. Okay. <laughs> And believe me, hey, listen, you've no idea. In those, we didn't have plastic footballs in those days. They were leather, real leather things. And when you had weather like we've had these last few days, the ball was as heavy as lead, you remember, and there was a lace, a leather lace on it. You were very loath. That's probably why I've got no hair uh, these days. You were very loath to head the ball. It was pretty, pretty dangerous. And the football boots, they weighed a ton. They were like climbing hiker's boots with great big studs on that fell out and so on. Okay, well that was it. Now I don't think Dennis Viler actually played for the team because I brought along that this, this is pure history, this, something to show you. It is the one and only medal that Ralph has ever won in the whole of his life. It's a football medal, right? Now you might think Ralph was a good player I'll tell you how I got this medal. <laughs> I was the club secretary. <laughs> My mission in life has always been to organize other people. You'll be surprised to hear that. But I got this medal, and it says on the back here, it actually says on the front, right? It says South Manchester and Widdenshaw Amateur Football League. And on the back, it says Club Secretary's Medal Corps. 1948 to 1949. And they gave me the medal for the simple reason that that season we never won a single game. <laughs> but we turned a team out every single week of the season. And they thought we were so sporting, we deserved the medal, and that's the only medal I've ever got. Uh, so there we are. You could probably say, ah... Uh, but you're not going to. And there's somebody else I've met that's even more famous. I wonder if anybody knows. Neil Armstrong? Not quite. No, no. Anybody else? He was the eighth man on the moon. Only 12 people have ever been to the moon. An astronaut, Jim Irwin, was the eighth man to have walked on the moon. He was a Christian. He loved the Lord Jesus and I met him way back in 1964 when I was doing a children's event, a children's mission in Cheadle. Okay? And there he is signing an autograph book for the girls and boys that were present on that occasion. And actually, he gave me something that I'll show you. Right? And because the grown-ups won't be able to see it as well as you can at the front, I'll put it on the screen as well. He gave me a signed photograph of himself on the moon. There it is, saluting the stars and stripes, the American flag. I wish that was a genuine photograph. It would be worth a small fortune. Uh, but, of course, he had lots and lots of prints of those that he used to leave behind him. And he always said the same thing when he spoke to the girls and boys and the grown-ups. It was wonderful to walk on the moon. Nothing like as wonderful as the day when Jesus, God, walked on earth. 
So those are the only really famous folk I've met. I put one or two other famous folk on that you might know about. Do you know that young lady? Masala. I can't pronounce her surname either. Uh, but there we are. Uh, that's the young lady who is the youngest ever winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. Quite a bit of a blog there about her for you to read. Never met her, but a wonderful, wonderful <coughs> young woman, so brave and an inspiration to many. And recently I came across this lady who's a nun. Okay, and she does a work rather like Arthur and others that go into prison. This lady goes into uh, prisons in South America. And one of the jails she goes to is the most dangerous prison in the world. It's built, it says, for 750 prisoners. It houses over 3,000, and the prisoners virtually uh, run the jail themselves. But she's not afraid because she says that God is with her. And just one other person... Uh, oh, there we are. I'm sorry, the description came up too quickly there for me, but that's Mark uh, Zuckerberg, uh, the uh, Facebook founder. He said recently he wanted to thank God for the birth of their daughter, and he's going to give away 99% of his shares. I discovered, apparently, it's not immediately, uh, so he'll have enough to live on for a week or two. Uh, but nevertheless, it's estimated to cost him about 30 billion. So that's a pretty, pretty generous gesture, pretty generous thing to do. So those are some of the most famous, famous people in the world. And I wondered what makes people special. They don't have to be famous to be special. Two little clips uh, just before we sing, right? And uh, I wonder if anybody's ever heard of Neil McLean. Do you know who Neil McLean is? Okay, he's a footballer, not a famous footballer like Dennis Violet was, one of the famous Busby babes. Uh, oh, there we are. Not as famous as him, right? But if we can find it, he scored an amazing, an amazing goal in the Scottish Cup. Just. Just watch this. His team, listen, his team were drawing, and with about a minute to go, the other team scored a goal. And he said to his mate, give me the ball quick from the kickoff, and just watch this amazing goal. I thought this was tremendous. Nobody else touches the ball. Just watch this. Nobody else touches the ball. He goes past everybody. And about 30 seconds from the kickoff, he scores. <laughs> You've got to admit, that was pretty special. That was pretty special. Nobody had ever heard of him. He plays for the Highland League. He plays for the Highland Leagues. Scott Inveruri. That's near Aberdeen, isn't it? It's right up there. Okay. And then what about, who's ever heard of Lucas Etter? Who's ever heard of Lucas Etter? He's somebody else special. Right. Just watch this. He's a speed cuber. Do you know what a speed cuber is? Just watch this. He broke the world's speed cube record. He went into the Guinness Book of Records. Watch this. In four...
In 4.9 seconds, he broke the world Rubik's Cube record. So you don't have to be famous. He probably is famous now uh, to be special. He just did something rather, rather special. So what makes a person special? Well, was there not a slide there? Have I lost that? What makes a person special? Doesn't matter. Um, what makes a person special? I think it's knowing that you belong to God and that Jesus loves you. And we're going to sing one of the songs that we used to sing in the holiday club, and I used to sing it in a lot of my kids' missions. There's no one else like you. There's no one else like me. God hasn't made a clone of you or me, even if you're a twin. Each of us is completely different. We're all special to God. We're all important to God. God doesn't love me more than he loves you. He loves us all equally. He loves us all just the same because we're all special to him. Let's thank him for his goodness to us this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you've made us different and we're all special. We're important, each one of us. We're all loved by you despite all our faults and failings. Would you take this morning not only our gifts, but the gift of our hearts and lives given to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. Right. All tablets away. Cell phones switched off. A story. And our story this morning, Ethan, this is chosen with you in mind. Because if you look at that picture, that is the church where your mum, I was going to say was born, I don't think that is quite true, uh, but uh, where she was brought up and attended for many, many years. <coughs> that's Hume in South Manchester, that's the Union Hall Evangelical Church, and I did quite a number of missions there, especially when the church was uh, newly built, which is a long, long time ago. I want to tell you about one very, very special person. Probably one of the most special people I've ever met. There he is, on the back row. Well, it wasn't the back row. It was the side row there. I have an idea, Ethan, and your mum may know that two people away from that gentleman is a child, I think, and I think that is your dad's mum. I could be wrong. All right, they're peering very hard. Uh, but the gentleman there was known in that church as Uncle Alfred. His name was a special name, Bosshart. Alfred Bosshart is one of the most amazing people that I've ever known. And here's his story. So sit up straight, arms folded, watch and listen. And this is perfectly true. Alfred was kidnapped. Alfred was taken a hostage in that great country of China many, many years ago. The story begins in Switzerland. Hands up all those who've been to Switzerland. There should be a few this morning. Okay. Hands up anybody that was born in Switzerland. 
Thank you, Doris. <laughs> and this was not just for Ethan, this was partly for Doris. Alfred's dad was born in Zurich, in Switzerland. His mum was born, I can't remember where, but it was certainly in Switzerland, not too far away. They fell in love. Jobs were very, very hard to get uh, when they were young, and they came to Manchester, where they were married. There they are on their wedding day. Look a bit scared. I wonder why. He's standing up very straight, Alfred's dad. They came to Manchester because they needed to find work. And there wasn't a lot of work uh, in Switzerland, but the lady was very good at embroidery. And machines were just starting to embroider. And she managed to find a job embroidering. And her new young husband got a job in a factory in Trafford Park in Manchester. And then something very, very special happened. They had a baby boy. In fact, they had four children. There's the factory where he worked. And of the four children that I want to speak this morning, the youngest was the little boy, Alfred. Alfred, well, things happened in his life on very, very special days. He was born on New Year's Day. What a wonderful day to come into the world. It's an old, old story, because Alfred was born on New Year's Day, 1897. His mum and dad actually weren't Christians at that time, but shortly afterwards they became Christians, and they took their young family to a Baptist church in Manchester. I'm sorry to say it no longer exists. But in those days, the Mossside Baptist Church was four times as big, congregation-wise, as Lynn Baptist Church. There were very often 800 people at the service on a Sunday. Little Alfred was taken, as he grew up, every Sunday to church. He came to love Jesus. He was only nine years of age when he asked the Lord Jesus to be his saviour and his special friend and to live in his heart and life. Shortly after he became a Christian and trusted Jesus, they had a special speaker in that church. He looked rather unusual. He had a very white face. But he was dressed like a Chinese person. He told them he was a missionary that he left England, he'd sailed across the sea to China to tell boys and girls and grown-ups about the Lord Jesus. And he said there are millions, millions upon millions of people in China who know nothing of Jesus. They're dying without Jesus. Will anybody go to China and tell them of God's love, that they're special to God? Alfred's heart was touched. Alfred listened. He went back home. He knelt down by his bedside. He was 10 years of age, that's all. He said, dear God, dear Lord Jesus, if nobody else will go to China, when I get older, I want to be a missionary. I love you, and I want to serve you in China. Please, Lord, will you help me? In those days, lots and lots of people left school at 14. And that's what Alfred did. He left school at the age of 14. He became an apprentice. 
And he went to the same factory in Manchester that his dad worked for. Older people remember it's Metropolitan Vickers. I don't know where it still goes. Metrovix. Okay? And he worked there as an apprentice. Every night, he spent hour after hour studying. He was reading all he could find out about China because he was fascinated with this great land of China. He studied maps. He learned as much as he could about that great country. He had to wait until he was 25 years of age. That was 15 years later. But the day came when he caught a ship and he sailed across the sea to China. It was the year 1922 and it was very, very dangerous to go to China in those days. Alfred changed in a good way. He wanted to tell people about the Lord Jesus, so he began to dress in Chinese clothes so they'd understand why he'd come. He had to learn their language. He had to eat their food. You may not find that difficult. Some of us might. Uh, but uh, he enjoyed being in China, and it was wonderful. And he began to tell them about the Lord Jesus. And then one day, something happened that changed his life incredibly. He came across a little six-year-old boy. This little boy was at the point of death. He was terribly thin, badly nourished. Looked as if he'd not eaten a meal for ages. His clothes were all tattered and torn. Alfred talked to this, this little boy and discovered he'd got absolutely nowhere to live. And he wasn't on his own. There were lots of other children who'd been abandoned. They had no parents or their parents couldn't afford to keep them. And so this is what Alfred did. He found a church, what it was called a temple. It was a Buddhist temple. Oh, sorry, hang on. I'm ahead of myself. Uh, before the temple, uh, he'd been saving up. He'd been saving up to buy something. And this is what he bought, a gramophone. Probably worth quite a bit today. An old gramophone playing the old vinyl records that are really coming back these days. And this was his pride and joy. It was about one of his only possessions. But he was so concerned to do something for these poor children that he sold it and he rented this Buddhist temple. And he got all the girls and boys to come, just a few at first, and then hundreds of them who had no parents and were homeless started to come. And Alfred looked after them. He got other people to come and help him. And the amazing thing was they had very little money, but they prayed. Alfred had learned from another wonderful Christian who went to China long before called Hudson Taylor, who never made any appeals for money. He just prayed, and God just sent the money in wonderful ways. And Alfred never forgot the day when they'd no food left. He gathered the children together that morning, and he got them to pray, Dear Lord, we don't know what to do. We're very hungry. We've no food left. And later that day, an amazing thing happened. A huge crate, a huge box, arrived. It was a shipment that had been coming for months from his home church in Manchester. And when they opened it up, there was loads and loads of food that had been sent. Help came in the nick of time. Alfred was very busy every day going out with his Bible, telling people about Jesus. 
one day, this is the kidnap bit, one day he was walking along through just a quiet part of the countryside when with no warning at all, armed soldiers, armed men, sprung out and captured him. They took him as a hostage and they dragged him off to their judge, as he was called. These people were communists. They were trying to take over the country. Alfred was dragged in front of the communist judge who made him sit down and pointed at him. He said, you will die. You are an imperialist spy. Alfred tried to defend himself. No, no, sir, he said. I, I, I'm just a missionary. I've come from England to tell people about, all oh, you Westerners are spies, the judge said. You will die. There's only one way that you can be saved. This is what you can do. You can write a letter to your government. And he stood over Alfred. He provided him with a pen and paper. And he made him write out a ransom note to be sent back to the prime minister of the day. He demanded $100,000. I don't know what that would be in today's money. An awful lot of money. Even then it was probably about £70,000. $100,000 in ransom money. Otherwise, you will die. In the meantime, he said, you will be thrown into prison. I cannot tell you how horrible it was being in that prison. He was there for months. Very little to eat. Very, very cold. Horrible with some of the other prisoners. And then one day, suddenly the guards came and dragged him out and said, you will march. And Alfred was forced to march across China. Now what is special about Mr. Alfred Bosshard is that Alfred became part of something which to the Chinese people is very, very special. It was known as the Long March. In the space of just 12 months, Alfred was forced to march 2,500 miles from the southeast of China right up to the north. Now that's probably about three times the length and breadth of Great Britain. And it wasn't all flat. Much of it was over rivers, through swamps and marshes. Much of it was over mountains. And it was terrible. Because if you can read, I know it's a bit hard to see, but in the bottom right there, it was October 1934 when they began. They were the Communist Red Army. And there were 87,000 troops that set out. And in the space of 12 months, only 4,000 survived. The rest died. Many of them were killed by the nationalist forces. But then Chairman Mao took over, and eventually they got to the north of China. Alfred was at the point of death. And then for some strange reason, oh, I perhaps ought to tell you the reason that Alfred was kept alive was that they only had one map. And the map was in French. And Alfred could speak fluently the French language and he could read the French very easily. And 
He was important to them. They kept him alive when other people were horribly, horribly killed right in front of his eyes because he could help them. But he was at the point of death. And then, inextricably, they provided him with a horse and they said he could be set free. And he was set free. His hostage ordeal finished in an incredible way. He was set free. I told you things happened in his life on special days. Born on New Year's Day, he was set free from his hostage ordeal on Easter Day. Can you think of a more wonderful thing to happen? The day of resurrection. The day when the Lord Jesus rose again. Alfred Bosshart was liberated. He was set free. I met Alfred when he was in his 70s. He looked like this, actually, for long years. He lived to be 96 years of age. The doctor that examined him, hey, listen to this, the doctor that examined him when he was liberated, when he was set free, said, Mr. Bosshart, you're a very fortunate man. You, you were at the point of death. But I can tell you this, he said, your experiences are going to take 10 years off your life. At the age of 96, he delighted to tell people what the doctor had said. He lived to be a very old gentleman, a wonderful old gentleman. He was liberated, he was set free, and it reminded me of that lovely verse from John's Gospel, chapter 8, that if the Son, S-O-N, if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. True story of Alfred Bosshart and the wonderful thing that God did in his life. He was so very, very special. But you were special in different ways. Another song that we used to sing in the holiday club, not just in my children's missions, this came in later. Not quite sure quite what happened to the have a banana bit. Uh, we got a little bit lost. You know, just before we finish, We've been thinking about special people. Some are famous, some aren't so famous. All of the people that I've mentioned this morning have done special things. But each of us is important because each of us is special to God. But there is one person who's the really, really special one. And you know who that is? It's the Lord Jesus, the most special person of all. I thought I'd remind myself of what I used to say to the girls and boys for long, long years. And I thought this might be a nice way to end 2015 and get ready to start the new year. How can I ask Jesus to be my saviour? If Jesus really is the special one, how can I make him my special friend? and follow him as my saviour. This is what I used to say to the girls and boys. First of all, this is the book, the only book, that tells us all about God and how to come to God through Jesus. So the Bible is very, very important to each of us. And in this book, the Bible, and if you watch the screen, it tells us you can ask Jesus to be your saviour. There are two things to know and there are two things to do. 
You know, some people think it's a very, very difficult, hard thing to do, to become a Christian. But actually, God has made it so simple that even girls and boys, I've known girls and boys at five years of age, even four, I can think of one, who asked Jesus to be her saviour and her special friend. So let's finish our service this morning just thinking about it. How do I ask Jesus to be my saviour? Let's think, first of all, of two things to know. Here's the first thing I have to know. And to be honest, this isn't an easy thing. I've got to know that I've done wrong things. I put on the screen, oh, to be honest, it's been on my computer for years, uh, but there it is. It's a reminder of all the wrong things that we do. And I'm afraid it's not just girls and boys, it's grown-ups. We tell lies, steal, swear, fight, cheat, cheat. We're unkind, or rude, or disobedient, or selfish, or horrid, or proud. All the things on the screen there in white letters, they're what we call breaking the Ten Commandments. You see, God, in this wonderful book, the Bible, has given us ten rules that we call the Ten Commandments. And every one of us breaks them all, I'm sorry to say, every day of our lives. We all let God down. We all sin. And this book, the Bible, it says every single one of us, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So to ask Jesus to be my saviour, the first thing I've got to do is tell God, okay, is to know that I've done wrong things. And the second thing I need to do is to realise that Jesus died to save me. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, that at Christmas... God's greatest gift, the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus, came down from heaven to be your saviour and my saviour and our special friend. Jesus died to take us to heaven. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. People don't like to think they're sinners because they think of sin as being lots of horrible things like murder and, and so forth. But all the things we've seen on the screen are wrong things that we all do. So there are two things we've got to know. First of all, that we've all done wrong. And secondly, Jesus died to save us. And then there are two things to do. And the first thing, watch the screen, I've got to tell God I'm sorry. Do you know, it would be, it, it'd be wonderful this morning if someone went home from our church service and just knelt down Somewhere at home, I just quietly sat down and just for a few moments said a sorry prayer. Said, dear God, forgive me for all the wrong things that I've done. The Bible says if we do tell God we're sorry, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just. He'll not let us down. He'll forgive us for all the wrong things. And the second thing, are you watching? Second thing to do, I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Some folks say, how does Jesus come into your heart? Well, it's just a way of saying that he wants to come inside me. When we talk about someone living in our heart, it means coming deep down inside us and being with us forever and always. If someone has my heart, they have me. They have all that there is to have of me. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come in. I had to go to a rather sad occasion, a funeral service of a very dear friend of mine, only last, uh, last Monday. He's the young man, well, he wasn't young uh, when he died just a few days ago. Uh, but some of you have heard me talk about Tony, who was quadriplegic. And he broke his neck in a, a horrible accident 45 years ago. And for 45 years, he's not been able to get out of bed. He's relied entirely on, on people to come and turn him every two hours in his bed. And for 45 years, he's been bedfast. And it's an absolute miracle that he lived. And it was my privilege to take a little part in his Thanksgiving service in Carlisle last Monday. And he wrote down that he wanted people to remember that verse because my late friend and colleague, Irene Wardle, prayed with him. And he said, I remembered Irene on the beach mission in the Isle of Man praying the words of Revelation 3 and verse 20 where Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your heart. And Tony said, I opened up the door of my heart and invited Jesus in. And he's with him through those long, long, terrible years. And now he's safe in the arms of Jesus in heaven. So, you've been ever so good and patient. Let me just remind you, watch the screen just for the final moment before we sing our last song. The most special person in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can know him as your saviour and your special friend. There are two things you've got to know. I've done wrong, I've sinned. Jesus died to save me. And there are two things you've got to do. Tell God that you're sorry and invite, ask Jesus, into your heart and life. Sometimes people say, how do I become a Christian? It's as simple as that. Two things to know and two things to do.